then Romans 3 is like, everyone's guilty. Um, that's basically the first half of Romans um, 3. And then it says righteousness then has to come by faith, not by law. We don't use the law to make us righteous because the law just points out where we mess up. We compare it to having a mirror, right? You look in the mirror and you're like, wow, my hair is really messed up. You don't grab the mirror and fix your hair, right? Like you use something else outside of what shows you your sin to be righteous. So righteousness comes by faith in Christ. Romans 4, Old Testament righteousness, we see Abraham was righteous by believing in God. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, and that was before there was law. That was before he was circumcised, all these things. So it's to be um, through just that, right? David talks about it too. He's the example both for Jews and Gentiles because it was before he was like, what Jews consider Jewish being circumcised, right? So before that wasn't based on works um, of how to get God's righteousness through believing in God. Next, last week in chapter 5, what we saw was we moved from proving that it's faith for righteousness to the benefits of justification. We saw benefits of justification there. Um, we saw that we have peace with God. We have access to the Father. We have our hope and our future glory. And we know that our trials can grow us in our Christian faith. We also realized that God's love is a lot better than our love, right? Um, and he shows us his love by dying for us while we were yet sinners, right? while we were still sinning. And now that we're reconciled through his death, even more so reconciled through his life. So this kind of idea, I didn't get to explain that very much last week, but this idea of a double reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about how Christ reconciled the entire world to himself. Right? Because all of our sins, all the world's sins, went where? Jesus. It's the church answer. Jesus, right? He took the sins world on himself. He reconciled the world to himself by paying for their sins. So no one's accountable for their sins anymore. They're accountable by believing or not believing. What gets you to heaven, or gets you not to go to heaven, is by believing in Christ, right? That is the deciding factor. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, whoever, uh, well, I skipped the part. So the Lord has said, and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? Believing or unbelieving, that's what gets you to eternal life. And so, this idea of double reconciliation in the sense of we're reconciled or after our fall, we fall. Um, we were here, we were sinful, all these things, and he reconciled us to this point, right? Where the entire world now, he's paid for their sins. But then whenever we believe, we get his righteousness and we're fully reconciled if we're in his life, right? We're identified with his life, we're going to raise the newness of life in Christ. And so like the entire world is here, then to get his righteousness is one more reconciliation. Because it says in 2 Corinthians um, uh, 5 that, I'm not to turn there, but um, basically we are um, ambassadors for Christ um, because namely that Christ was in the world and reconciled the world to himself. And then it says we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's two reconciliations. Christ already reconciled the world, but then also we beg people to be reconciled to God, right? Fully be reconciled to God. So that's what we've seen here. He said, we're reconciled through his death. That was the hard part, right? All the sins paid for, right? That free gift that was given, he paid for the sins. And now through his life, there's even more that we have, right? If we're reconciled through his life, to a newness of life in Christ, and there's more that we have there. So fully reconciled. So today we're going to see, um, first of all, the doctrine of original sin. That wasn't mine. Okay. Doctrine of original sin. And then the free gift is greater than the transgression. And some of y'all are like, wait, math? Yes. Um, greater than transgression. The free gift conquers the fall, right? Conquers the fall. So we're going to pray. No, I'm going to read. And then we're going to pray and then get into it. So um, get there real quick. 
This is uh, Romans 5, uh, 12. Therefore, it says, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death ran from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in their life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there results in condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there results in justification of life to all men. For as though, as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for Romans. I pray that as we um, look at it this morning, um, that you'd be guiding our hearts and our minds, be able to focus on what you have to say for us, that uh, it would be just me up here speaking, that you'd be speaking through your word. We know that your word never comes back void, but always accomplishes its purpose. So we pray that we're open to um, what you want for us to learn from it today. We call this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, you know how some churches, uh, not our church, uh, baptize infants, right? Um, what's cool, in the least cool way, is that this passage is why they do that, right? This is one of the main passages why they actually do ba- infant baptism. Here's what happened, real quick, correct? Um, this verse, or these passages, this passage, or these verses say that we inherit sin from Adam, right? Doctrine of original sin. Adam sinned, and then through that, we got the sin nature to each person, right? We inherit Adam's sin. Um, so then they're like, okay, so then that means we're born. Someone's like, okay, well, this theologian was like, okay, so we're born with this sinful layer already on us, right? Another theologian heard of that theologian said, and was like, okay, then we have to get rid of this sin layer so we can be pure whenever we first are born, right? And then that theologian heard those theologians and said, therefore, we must baptize infants to wash away this sinful layer. And so really what you see here is that the final belief wasn't even based on the scripture anymore. It was based on what people had said about the scripture, right? They continue to this theologian, this theologian, this to where you're here, but then you're just hanging on to all these theologians, not onto the actual word of God, right? And so it's important for us to go back to have our beliefs based on God's word, not on just what people said about God's word, right? Know where your belief is rooted in scripture, and make sure you have a basis for that. So the reason we don't baptize, baptize infants is because it's really not in the Bible. Infant baptism is not. People get baptized after they believe. Right? We see that uh, in the scripture. After they're saved, they believe in Christ, and then we baptize them in, in, the, in the outward appearance, right? outward showing of the inward change that happened. They've been placed in Christ. Baptized means to dip or identify with. And so it's the outward, like, hey, guys, look, I'm identifying with Christ, right? His death and his resurrection. So um, anyways, that was a freebie for you. But... We're going to see two important people in this section. We're going to see Adam and Christ, right? Adam being the head of everyone, all people, and Christ being the head of all believers, right? And what that's going to look like as we go through this passage. Romans 5, verse 12. So therefore, 
just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Okay. It doesn't say a name here. So who did sin enter the world through? Adam. Right, it's like on the screen, right? So through one person's sin, now the entire world is fallen. How's that fair? Well, first off, we probably made the same decision, right, if we were in the garden. Um, also, we're all on the same team as humans. We oftentimes think that, like, well, you know, there's this country and this country, we're at a war, but really, we're all on the same team, so to speak, right? Adam was the leader of the human race, and his decision affects us all. Just like the team captain for a soccer team, right, affects the rest of the team, or the leader of an army affects the rest of the people in the army. Like, there's effects that happen. We don't sin in a bubble. So his decision in the garden affected all of us as the head of humanity, Therefore, right, he says, therefore, so therefore, what do we ask when we see that word? What's the therefore, therefore, right? Um, So he's saying, okay, here's what we've said. We're justified by faith. We have received reconciliation. We have hope in God. And therefore, right, kind of moving on, since we've received reconciliation, all these things, um, just as through Adam sin entered the world and death through sin and death spread to all men, right? This is why we need the reconciliation, why we've been reconciled. as we're in sin. We've been reconciled, and so this is talking about how death spread to all, and now we have been saved through Christ's life. Death came into the world through Adam. The wages of sin is death. death right? So before sin came into the world, there was no death in the world. It said death through sin. So pre-sin, there was no death. Which means that before Adam and Eve, there was no death. Which means that evolution cannot lead to Adam and Eve. Or there would have been death before there was sin in the world. And we know that death comes from sin. And so this idea of theistic evolution, that God used evolution to get to Adam and Eve, that goes against the scripture in the sense that there had to be death before the fall came. Um, And there's a lot more that I would love to talk about when it comes to evolution and why it's not even scientifically accurate, but I'm not going to that this morning. That's not what we're here for. So there's one thing, right, where the Bible says death came through sin. And so if there was death before the fall, then there had to be sin before Adam and Eve sinned, which is not possible here on earth. So <clears throat> death came through Adam. All people now feel and have the effects of Adam's sin. Right? Um, there's this idea in the world that people are born and they're good at heart. Right? At their heart, people are good. And then you're around a bunch of two-year-olds. And you're like, no, right? No, you don't have to say, hey, go ahead and disobey me and climb on those chairs, right? Get off the chair. I told you five times, right? Or stop hitting them. They just want to look at your toy, right? They look at you the weird way. Like, stop this. And you're like, okay, no, people are born just bad, right? They're not, it's not people are born good at at heart, right? Like, no, you have to teach them good or they're just going to do bad. Don't teach a kid to be bad. I mean, you can, but like, you don't have to at the beginning, right? They just are. They're just selfish, right? Yeah. So you have to teach them how to share and all those things. So we are have this sin. We feel and have the effects of Adam's sin. This is called imputation. Sins, Adam's sins have been imputed to us. Imputation means credited to your account, right? They actually use it as a like banking term of things that were uh, credited, like it's been imputed and transferred over, basically. So we're going to see three imputations for us um, or as we go through this. Um, we're born with a sin nature because Adam's sin was imputed to us. It's the first one. Adam's sin was imputed to the world. Right? So all of his descendants, everyone that came after Adam, 
um, got the sins or the, that imputed sin. The second is that the world's sins were imputed to Christ. First John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation um, of our sins, and not of ours only, but also of the entire world, he says, right? First John 2, 2 says, he's the propitiation, the payment in full, not for our sins as believers, but for the sins of the entire world. That word, world there, that word in the Greek is cosmos, right? Which is like universe, right? He is the payment for everyone's sins. And so the world's sins were placed on Christ on the cross, right? He paid for the sins. The third is Christ's righteousness being imputed to believers, right? being transferred to believers. We receive his righteousness when we believe in him. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Right? We receive Christ's righteousness when we believe in Christ. <clears throat> so, those are the imputations we're going to see. We're going to kind of see these imputations as we go throughout this passage this morning. So I want you to kind of understand imputation and transferring of things to your account, right? Adam's sin goes to the world. The world's sins are placed on Christ. He paid for the sins out of ours only of the entire world. And then Christ's righteousness is imputed to believers who receive his righteousness. Does that make sense? Everyone? Okay. Any questions? All right. So now Paul's going to take a break. So he's gone through chapter, or he's in verse 12, and he's going to kind of take a break of this line of thought and explaining why there was death before the law, right? Before the law was happening, why there was death. And he's going to explain that through 12 and 17. And then at 18, he's going to pick back up this idea of in verse 12. So we're kind of going on this little rabbit trail. This is caveat of what he's talking about. So look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Um. So there was sin before the Mosaic law. There's no breaking of the law if there is no law, right? <laughs> like, how do you break the law if there's no law? It's like saying, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's like saying that if there's anarchy and there is no law system at all in America and someone does something wrong, like, you broke the law! And people are like, what law, right? There is no law for me to break. And he's probably talking about this in verse 14 of chapter 4. For the law brings about wrath, or there is no law, there's no violation. And so they're like, okay, well then why is there death and punishment if there was no violation of the law at this point. If you aren't violating the law, then your sin isn't imputed to your account because you broke the law. But we still see sin before the law was made, right? Like, was there anything bad that happened before Moses came along? Yes. Right? A lot of things happened that was bad. Uh, and so there's still some sort of sin going on. So what's going on here, right, is what he's, he's asking. He's going to kind of answer as he goes through this. Nevertheless, in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. It's a type of him who is to come. So death still came, even though there was no law. The wage of sin is death. By sinning, there's death happening. Even though the sins people had weren't the same as the sin of Adam. The sin of Adam was, do not eat of this tree. Right? Everything else you can eat of, it's fine. Don't eat of this one tree at all. And what we see is people didn't do that exact kind of sin, but they still broke God's moral law. He said certain laws were to be followed. If you remember, um, he said don't kill another human. Right? Um, don't eat animals with the blood still in them, is what he said to Noah after the flood before Moses, um, etc. There's other things um, that he said. There was still morality before the law was given. We saw in Romans 2 the same idea. Right? 
Gentile, people who don't have the law, still were a lot of themselves. They had a conscience. They had morality. And so they still had a lot of themselves, even though um, they didn't have the written law of Moses. And so there's still God's law written on their hearts. People have morality. So even though people didn't break the same command as Adam, the pattern was still followed. God says, do this. They didn't do it. Or God says, don't do this. And they did it. The pattern was started of sinning, the sin pattern. Um, so people were still sinning, even though it wasn't a, um, uh, it wasn't, um, there was no law, basically. Even though there was no law, there was still sin happening. So Adam is a type, it says, of him who was to come. Who is the him who was to come? Jesus, the church answer, right? Um, how is he a type of Christ, I don't think? Yes. Uh, he was uh, sort of like ruler of the world at the time. Jesus will be ruler of the world. Yeah, he's head of the world at that point, right? Let's subdue the earth, he said. Also, his actions affected everyone, right? He's kind of a bad type of Christ right? in that way. Um, through Adam, death came to people, but through Christ, life came to people. So he was a type, but he was like the antithesis um, of, the, of the type of Christ we have here. And so, um, Adam was a type of him to come. Adam imputed death to all, and Christ would take the sins of all on himself. Through Adam, all sin and experience death, but through Christ, people receive and experience life. That's how it's similar, but then here's how it's different. We're going to go on, right? Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For by the transgression of the one, the many died. Much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So through one sin, many died. Like all people have died because of Adam's sin. Right? Like that's just the consequence. There's death entered the world because of sin entering the world. So through his one little act of sinning, right, everyone in history has died. Except for like Elijah and Enoch, right? What happened to them? We don't know. Right? I mean, we know what happened, but we don't know what happened after. They're just like gone. Yeah. So um, everyone has died. But through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, many sins were paid for. And grace abounded to the many, he says. So because of there was one sin um, Adam made, right, that was spread into a bunch of sins to every person. So he was like, yeah, there's one little sin. Didn't realize the consequence that would happen because of that. And so we see that spreading to everyone. But then the death of Christ paid for how many sins? All the sins. And it made it so we could be, even be declared righteous. Not just like, okay, cool, your sins are paid for, but also you receive Christ's righteousness. So that gift is a lot better than the transgression. One sin, a bunch of sins. And then he's like, okay, out of all of these sins now, these are all paid for and I can declare you righteous. The free gift is a lot better than that because it uno reversed a bunch of sins, basically. right? He also gives righteousness, transgression brought death. Literally, is what the next verse says. Look at verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, Adam. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in justification. So judgment came out of that transgression. People were condemned. On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification, being declared righteous. So through sin came judgment, but through the free gift comes justification. Remember, there's no room for judgment with salvation. That's actually kind of what that this verse is talking about here. 
The law brings about wrath where there is no law, there's no violation. It's talking about being justified by faith, by belief. There's no law. You can't violate being saved, right? Like, there's no law to get to eternal life. You have faith for eternal life. You can't, like, ah, I lost it, right? Because I did something bad. Whenever there is no law behind it, it's just by faith that you're declared righteous. And so when you believe you are saved, there's no law part of eternal salvation. It's faith in Christ for eternal life is what we see. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a whole bunch of verses, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. If it was by works, I could boast and say, I did all these good things. Look, I'm going to heaven. But it's not by works, so no one may boast. Because the only thing we can boast in is Christ. He did the work. I look to him for my salvation, not myself. Look to myself. It's not happening, right? So our one transgression from Adam resulted in condemnation. But from the many transgressions arose the free gift resulting in justification. Okay, before we go on, any questions? Does that make sense? Any questions so far? Yeah, so um, here's how I view it. This is not, you're not going to find this diagram in your written word of God. Um, but here's kind of what we were at. We This is like zero neutral, basically, right? Um, this is negative and this is positive righteousness. We were all here, right? Um, our sins, right, made us negative righteousness, right? We're like transgressed with sin. Christ came and died to pay for sins. That brought us all up to here. Right? We don't have Christ's righteousness yet until we believe in him and we receive that and we become we're declared righteous. But nobody is accountable to God for their sins, right, in particular, because Christ has paid for them. It doesn't matter if you've sinned or if you've not sinned, that doesn't matter if you go to hell or go to heaven. What matters is did you believe in Christ or did you not? At the end of Revelation, we have the, the second death. Um, the, the books are opened, right? The books of all the works people have done, all the good deeds people have done. And then there's a book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And all the unbelievers stand before God. He says, okay, look, yeah, all these works, cool. Um, are you in the book of life? No? Okay, like a fire, right? And that's, that's what's important, is whether you're in the book of life or not. And so the sins are already placed on Christ. What matters is, did you believe in Christ or not? And if you believe in him, well, then you receive or imputed, right? His righteousness and we're declared righteous. So that's how I view it. That's the best way I'm kind of a visual, kind of how does this work, basically. That's kind of how I look at it, so to speak. But there may be a better way. I don't know. But does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions? Or, or not? Just from the slide you post about um, justification and sanctification and standing and that kind of helps with that too, the justification. Yeah, that, I didn't have it up this week, but the justification, sanctification, glorification, and like our. Our state versus our standing versus all that stuff. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay. One transgression resulted in condemnation, but from the many transgressions rose the free gift resulting in justification. Look at verse 17. For by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one. Um, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he gives us eternal life. <clears throat> if death reigned through sin, 
how much more we reign through life right, in Christ. And notice it's talking about those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness who reign in Christ. It's talking about who then? Believers, right? Those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Um, so because death reigned through the one through sin, then so much more will we reign in life. That's what about um, through the free gift. So I have so much more, the three gifts and the death that was brought through the transgression. He's really, he's really harping on this, right? He wants you to understand why the free gift is better than the transgression, and how they're different and how they're also similar, but like how much better it is that throughout all of this sin arose like justification, right? Through faith in Christ. He paid for all those sins and then can declare us as righteous. <clears throat> now we're picking up this idea that was back in verse 12. The one we broke off from talked about how death spread to all men because all sinned. He kind of explained, okay, well, what's happening? Why is there death before there's the law? And he explained that, explained how, well, the transgression versus the free gift. Now we're back to verse 18, kind of picking up that thing from 12. So it says in verse 18, So then, as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there's a justification of life to all men. He's summarizing this before he goes on. He's like, so then. Right? He's like, okay, so then, I just explained this, and now we're going to move on. Our sin, a one sin in Adam, resulted in many being condemned, right? The many being condemned, right? all people. Adam being the head of all people. Through the one act of righteousness, Christ dying on the cross for us, there resulted in justification of life to all men. Now, this doesn't mean that every single person is justified. We know that justification comes through faith. That's in Romans 5, 1, right? Um, uh, or I'll do 4, 5. Um, but the one who does not work but believes in him and justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And so, um, it doesn't mean every person justified. It's to those who have received the, the, the gift. Like this is in verse 16. We just saw in verse 16. It says, um, much more to those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness of reigning life through Christ. Now, the justification is now made available to all people. That's where people will say that Christianity is an exclusive um, belief system basically but actually we're like the most inclusive it doesn't matter who you are what you've done or anything you believe in christ you have eternal life right that grace is made for every single person it's available to every single person right? now here's the way you want you to live afterwards right um, but eternal life comes as a free gift that's why gift is used so many times here it's a free gift you don't earn it so it's available to all people, right? In verse 16, all those who get life are those who received it through Christ. So it's available to everyone, he says. The transgression results in condemnation, the one act of righteousness, and justification to all people. 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, who is that? Making sure we're tracking. Okay, Adam. The many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Adam sinned, many were made sinners. Christ obeyed, many made righteous. The many in the first half applies to all people. Second half applies to all believers. Because it says the many were made sinners. Into the abundance of the one, the many will be made righteous. Okay, verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when the law was made, transgression increased. You already went against, you actively went against God more at that point. Before the law, there were some things God said like, hey, 
don't kill people, right? Just don't do that, right? Don't murder someone. Don't eat like uh, animals with the blood still in them, right? Um, other things, right? Um, but then when the law was made, there was a lot more added. It was like, don't touch this thing. Don't eat this kind of meat. Don't do like all that was added onto the laws, right? The things that could be disobeying God more. So your breaking of God's commands increased whenever you looked at the 613 commandments, right? So the law came in so that transgression would increase. It would show us our sin even more. But God's grace abounded all the more, even when sin increased. And the truth is, God's grace is always bigger than your sin. His grace is way more powerful, way larger than your sin. This um, idea in the Greek, I'm not exactly sure I don't have the Greek up with me right now, but it says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Um, the beginning of the abounded is huper, right? In the Greek, which is the where we get super from, right? Super huper, right? Um, so grace super abounded, basically what it means there. And so this made it so that even though sin reigned through death, right? Sin is reigning through death. You Sin, death is where, where what's the... The, the king of that, basically, I guess I don't know. Um, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Your sins are a lot, right? That, that, that's, they're a big deal. They lead to death. But God's grace abounds more than your sins. Your sins brought death to Christ, right? Someone had to pay for those sins. But his grace brings eternal life. He declares you sinless and righteous. All of this comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, through his death on the cross and paying for those sins. He took your sins on himself to pay for them, to give you his righteousness. So this has some questions that are brought up, right? So sin increased, grace on all the more. So every time we sin, there's still more grace to cover it. So that even though sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness, eternal life, through Christ our Lord. So there's more grace than there is sin. So implications, right? Does this mean that my sins don't matter? Does this mean I don't need to deal with my sins? Does God care if I sin? If grace abounds, should I keep on sinning? These are going to be answered next week. So come back. Right? Um, we're going to see this answer next week in the section of Romans. So let's look at what, we, what we've seen today real quick. Just kind of overview. Through Adam, sin and death entered the world. Everyone now sins in that same pattern as Adam. He can introduce that into the world. We saw three imputations. We saw Adam's sin to us, to the world. Right? So we now have original sin from Adam. Then the world's sins are placed on Christ. First John 2, 2 is the uh, satisfactory payment, not for our sins, only the sins of the entire world. And then Christ's righteousness is imputed to all believers. Right? I read him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then Paul explains in depth how the free gift is so much better than the transgression. It's similar because things are getting passed on. There's an imputation happening. But the free gift undoes all the sins. One sin led to billions of sins, right? But then the one act of righteousness in Christ paid for the billions of sins and then also declares us righteous. The transgression just passes sin and death on. We get life through Christ. Where our sins abound, grace abounds all the more. God's grace covers all of our sins. But it took Christ's obedience to the point of death for us to have life. Right? To it, for being bound in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we should be grateful to Christ for his obedience. Our sins took that payment, death on a cross, and it was no easy payment. 
So don't have a light view of sin. Either. Right. Took Christ's death to pay for it. We need people who, who serve him and love him for his sacrifice. Not out of fear. Right? Understand the sacrifice that Christ made for us. It was dying on the cross because of the sins that we have. Don't serve out of fear, trying to earn salvation, right? Trying to earn eternal life. Christ offers it as a free gift. But it was free to us. It wasn't free to him. Some, some applications. Understand imputation. Right? Just this, this concept in the Bible. It's an important concept. Adam to us, right? his sin to us. Our sins to Christ, paying for our sins. And then Christ's righteousness to believers. We receive his righteousness whenever we believe in him. Secondly, have a proper view of sin. It leads to death. First of all, Christ is a death. He had to die to pay for those sins. This is out of the many transgressions came the free gift. It arose from the transgressions, it says. And so, because there were so many sins, there needed to be a payment. There needed to be a savior. So, so Christ's death also, wow, also, it stops our fellowship with God. Like whenever we sin, we're in tight fellowship with God. And then we sin, and that puts a separation between us. Not for eternal life, not our salvation, but we aren't able to serve as effectively. We aren't able to be uh, as in fellowship and be just uh, serving and loving others and doing anything effectively as we're trying to do if we're not in fellowship with God. It's the difference between relationship and fellowship, right? Um, how many of us in here have a mother somewhere, somehow, sometime? Right? Okay, cool. Um, what if, say, um, you and your, your mother, right, you move, um, you grew up in Alaska, and you move from Alaska to here, right, and you never talk to your mother ever again. She's still your mother. Yes, right? She is still your mother. There's nothing to do to change that. Biologically, still your mother, no matter what, right? Um, so that relationship is the same, right? Still mother to child, what it is. But how's the fellowship going to be with you and your mom? Not not close at all, right? I mean, Alaska, right? I mean, it's pretty far away. And so in the same way, whenever we believe in Christ, we are made children of God. And once we're adopted as a, as a child of God, we're, we're his child, no matter what. That relationship can't change. But our fellowship with him can, right? That can change, be farther away or closer. And so it leads to death, right? Christ's death also stops our fellowship with God. We want to be back in better fellowship so we confess to him, turn back to God whenever we've sinned, we realize we've sinned, and we'll be back in fellowship immediately. It also affects our service. Right? Um, we don't, uh, if we're living in sin, we're not going to be serving as well. Right? We're going to try to in our own power, but it's not going to go well. Right? And then third, let's give God praise for his grace. Understanding that the free gift is a free gift that he gives to us. We don't have to do anything for it. If we did, we'd be up the creek without a paddle, so to speak. Okay, any questions or anything? Yes, or comments? Um, can you explain, like, verse 13 again, like, how there was sin in the world, but it wasn't imputed to people? Yeah, so in being credited credited to your account in that way, right? You think of having a law. I think this is going back to when he said that there was um, 
law brings about wrath, and there is no law, there is no violation. People might say, well, if there was no law, then why is there, why is there imputate, why, why am I being credited as a sinner, basically, if there's no law to break at this point? Um, and so, like, in the legal terms, imputation was a legal term, right, of being imputed to your account. Um, in the legal terms, there's no imputation if there is no law, I think is what he's saying. Right? Um, but he's saying, but nevertheless, there was still death because people were still sinning, even though there was no law to break. That makes sense. So for until the law, sin was in the world, but it's not imputed where there is no law. There is no um, legality like, how, he's basically, I think he's raising a question of how does this work then? Like he's bringing up this point of like, but sin is imputed, there's no law. Nevertheless, death still reigned, right? And he kind of explains it there. I think that's what he's saying, if that makes sense. So would that, in a way, kind of support the argument for natural law? Because like for our legal system, there's a lot of things that we say, like, you know, are wrong. Just like, like killing somebody is wrong. And all that kind of goes into the argument of morals a little bit. But I don't know, that was just kind of a thought that came in. Do you think it, like, kind of ties into that a little bit? Because it kind of seems like it does, especially when he said, even though, like, the law wasn't there, but there were still consequences for mm-hmm. sin. There was death. Death was still reigning at the time. Yeah. I think it definitely does. Um, that there are things that are right and wrong with or without there being an actual law system in place. Right? Um, and that goes back also to Romans 2, 14, 15, where it says that uh, unbelievers even have the um, conscience and they know what is right and wrong. And they're, that ultimately accuses or defends them when they stand before God. Right? As in like, okay, you knew this was wrong and you still did it. So you aren't even accountable to yourself. Right? You can't even like do things that you think are right and wrong. Um, and then Romans 1 also talks about how things people knew were wrong and deserved punishment, they still do. So, yeah. This might be going too far off in my head. I might come back to it to you later. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, talking about how, like, there is no law, uh, talk about there's a law to themselves, you have to have a sense of morality. Um, so people have a conscience, and they can see yeah. if there's sin. Like, things are right and wrong. But at the same time, I can't remember what passage is. So this passage talks about people not understanding the things of God because they are don't have Christ righteousness. How does that fit together? So the question is, how does people knowing that they've sinned but not understanding spiritual things yes. fit together? Okay. I think you can understand that you deserve punishment and not understand the things spiritually of praise, is, what the, is how the, 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 the verse goes. I don't remember where it's actually at, but the natural man cannot understand this, except things of the Spirit, you know, things of God, for they cannot understand them, for they are spiritually appraised. I think that's Blake translation. But, um, and it's talking about how the things that we're talking about, right, of like, I was actually talking about something the other day, um, and it was... Um, someone who had to make a decision to move from a job that they really liked. And it was a lot of it was based on biblically spiritual things, right, while they're doing it. Told their bosses, who aren't believers, and their bosses were like, are you serious? Like, this is a really good job that you have, and you're going to move somewhere where you won't have good opportunities. What are you doing with your life? And they're like, this is like, I, I'm pretty clear this is God's plan, right, to be, to be at this place. And they're like, whatever, right? I think that's more of the idea of like, they don't understand the things of the spirit. Right? They don't understand that like, anything with spiritual life, really. Um, but they do understand that like, I've done wrong. I know that I should probably deserve punishment. Um, Alan Campbell is one of our missionaries in um, the UK from, from I want to say India, Ireland. Um, oh my gosh, okay, from Ireland. Um, 
and he said that before he was in high school, or before he was a um, believer, he used to want to make um, the Christians cry who were trying to share the gospel. Um, but he would literally like feel like I won. I made them cry. Yeah. Uh, and then he get home. He's like, well, I'm gonna pay for this someday. Like deep down, he knew that like there's some consequence. This can't be a good thing that I'm doing. Um, but he didn't understand the spiritually appraised things. He didn't understand those things. And so he knew that there was a consequence in some way, shape, and form. He was doing wrong, but he just didn't really understand about the spiritual things. So I think that does that answer your question? Yeah, it kind of makes sense to why people get this idea of karma because they're like, there's going to be a consequence. They just have an innate understanding of there's consequences. Like it goes around. Like, yeah. But maybe if they don't recognize it, it comes from God. But they recognize that when you do bad, it's not going to be good for you. Yeah. Like be the good that you want to see in the world. <laughs> All those things where it's like, oh yeah, you put good in the world and you'll get good back. And it's like, maybe, read Ecclesiastes, right? <laughs> you may just, like, life may be terrible no matter what you do. So. It seems like, in general, people want there to be, like, aspects of God in the world, but they like to attribute it to some unknown force that's most likely not, like, a being or anything. So, this is, kind of, this is kind of going down a, a path, but I like it. So, um, we see that people are made in the image of God, right? Um, we often say that that means people have mind, emotion, and will. And you won't have those things kind of like other creatures and stuff. We may have a, uh, able to think but don't have like, emotions and like a will. Like, I'm going to do this even though it doesn't make sense. Or I have a will. I'm gonna do this. Not like people named will, but, you know, mind, emotion, and will. But also what we see is people who are unbelievers desire things like justice. Right? And that doesn't, like, where does that come from? Like, they want to see justice made. Well, ultimately, I think this comes from they're made in the image of God. And God desires justice. Um, other things that we see, right? People want love, right? God is love. People want um, um, so many things, right? I can't even think of other ones right now, but um, the one I think of the most is like justice. I think it's be a big thing in today's society, right? To get justice for things. Um, and really that's, uh, that's come because they're made in the image of God and God desires justice. So We only have a couple minutes left. So any other questions? Comments. Yeah, there's a street preacher. His name's Cliff Tushman, but I don't remember the title. But he goes to universities, and this unbeliever brought up. He's like, "Okay, what if there's just like good in the world? Like there's no God, just good, and that's how like we get like the you know, the whole morals thing." Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "Well, that wouldn't make sense because you're just saying this thing good is just in the world, but how? Mm-hmm. Like there's no like creation to it, but." That's not like an applicable thing. Like good is not, it's like a, a feeling or something. But if you introduce God into it and God creates good, creates justice, then that's how you can explain all these things. So. Yeah. Without having any source of what is good, then there is no morality. Like if it really is random chance and particles flying around and evolution is how we got here, right? Well, then... You want someone's job, kill them, right? You get their job. Survival of the fittest. That's just how it is. You're an an animal. Just evolved animal, right? There actually is no basis for morality if there is no, like, God who actually made us in the image. But we actually go on campus, and most of y'all know this, but we go on campus, and uh, like, this Tuesday, we're going evangelizing, and one of the questions I'll probably ask, unless the Holy Spirit's like, no, um, is do you think it's okay to eat babies, right? Eat children. Yes, babies. And 
Most people say no. Some say yes, because they're like, if I was on an island, and it's either me or the baby gonna die, like, eat the baby, I'm like, okay, cool, whatever, right? What about rape? And they're like, no, that's not good. Right? You find something where there's like, there's a strong stance of like, no, it's bad. Right? And I just ask them why. Right? Why? Why is that wrong? And so many times they go to like, the government says it's wrong. Well, who made up with the government? People make up the government. Why do they say it's wrong? Right? Or my parents taught to me. Who taught your parents? Like, why did everyone agree that this is a wrong thing to eat a child? Right? And I go, they eventually, most people go to like, it's just, it's just wrong. <laughs> just don't do it. Right? Like, do you want to know why I believe it is wrong? And they're like, yes, please. Um, and uh, I say, I believe we're all made in the image of God. And so inherently, we have value. And we know others have value because of that reason alone. It doesn't matter if that person is um, disabled in some way or if they're brand new baby or they're old. Like, you know, they have value because they're made in the image of God. Um, and that's the reason why. And so I ask them all the times, does that make sense? I don't ask them, do you agree? Does that make sense? And they say, yes, that makes sense. Right? They may still, I mean, it's not, it's not a head issue. That's what people are saying. It's a heart issue, right? Um, it's because they, they hate God because they love their sin, as we've seen in Romans 1. But um, that related back to something about good and morality and stuff. So. All right, well, now we're a minute over. So good, we filled up the time. Let's pray. God, um, thank you so much for this passage that is, a lot of repeating um, maybe seems kind of <coughs> kind of confusing um, in some ways. I pray that you would just reveal um, and open it up to our eyes so we can kind of understand it better. Um, thank you that we do understand that you, um, we got Adam's sin, nature and sin and the consequences of that on us, treated us, but we know that Christ took those sins on himself and that he paid for those sins on the cross and that was a costly um, payment that had to be made. Um, but that you now offer that as a free gift to everyone. And that those who believe in Christ for eternal life now are imputed or, or, or credited Christ's righteousness. And we can be with Christ for eternity and be with God for eternity. So we thank you, Lord, for that. Um, pray that we would not take our sins lightly as we go throughout, knowing that it took Christ's death to pay for those sins. And as we go through our lives, we'd be more cognizant and have a proper view of our sins. Um, and that we would want to glorify you more and more. I pray all this in your son's name. Thank you.